Coming up on Let's Clear the Air. I don't think as an industry that we've done a good job educating the majority of people in, in this country don't understand energy. Welcome to the Let's Clear the Air Energy Podcast. Conversations focused on how some of the world's top energy leaders are innovating to deliver clean, affordable, and reliable energy for the future. Your hosts are energy and climate expert, Dr. Andrew Parker, and midstream industry veteran, Adam Murray. Now, here are Andrew and Adam. Thanks for joining us on the Let's Clear the Air podcast. We are live actually recording live here in person, which we haven't done before, uh, at the GPA Midstream Annual Conference in San Antonio. Clark White's our guest from Target Resources. Clark, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. You've mentioned that you you live in Texas and you have lived in Colorado. Uh, Have you lived anywhere else in your... Uh, Louisiana. Louisiana. All right. Well, let's clear the air. Which one's your favorite? This is so easy. I'm born Texan. <laughs> I'll always be a Texan. But I'll tell you, when I lived in Colorado, the, the beauty of that is you wait till it snows and then you ski only on the primo days, not when the week that you have, you know, living in Texas that you've made your trip plans. You can wait until that really, really good snowstorm goes through, sun comes out and go snow ski and enjoy it. You're probably one of the perfect people to ask this question for the casual listeners who may not be very familiar with the midstream industry. Like, start off with just a high level explanation of what is the midstream industry and why is it important? Why do we care about midstream? Well, the midstream, really the name midstream, because it's up, you have the upstream producers and you have the downstream folks that, that make chemicals and market the gasoline. And we're kind of in the middle of that value chain. And, you know, I look at the midstream industry as we get raw product, raw natural gas from producers, and it has all kinds of impurities. And uh, the natural gas that you turn on in your house has that pretty blue flame, doesn't have any of the impurities. And impurities are like CO2, uh, hydrogen sulfide water, things that if we're in the gas would corrode a steel pipe. So we, we take those out so that we can transport the natural gas. The next part of that is the liquefiable hydrocarbons. We've all heard of propane that's liquefied out of natural gas at the wellhead. And we make ethane, which goes into the chemical industries is ethylene and the plastics business, the propane that we're all familiar with uh, in our grills at home. Um, but it goes into the propylene and chemical business too. Then you have your butanes and natural gasolines that go into the refining and, and heating industry. So um, we take all of those components out so that when you turn your, your, your pilot or your flame for your stove on, you see that natural, nice blue natural gas flame and you don't have you know, these other components causing problems. So we really purify natural gas to make it of a quality that people can use in their homes. I always like asking executive level folks like yourself a little bit about your history and your your path within the midstream industry. Um, you know, how did you get involved in this business and, and kind of share a little bit about your, your ascension at, at Targa? Well, you know, I went to college and got a chemical engineering degree and 
and then I interviewed for all these different companies and there's a whole variety of jobs that you can get out of college and, and with chemical engineer, whether it's refining uh, chemical processes or natural gas processing. And um, I went to work for a, a company originally out of Odessa, Texas, out in West Texas. And my first job was actually that purification step to take and treat natural gas to remove CO2, water, and H2S. Uh, I did that for a number of years and then really got moved into the kind of the, the processing side where we removed the uh, liquefiable hydrocarbons in the terms of processing plants. Uh, we first were using refrigeration plants and then we've moved and transitioned into cryogenic uh, expander plants and it developed all that technology and we started putting plants in. and. Uh, so I did that from an engineering perspective for a number of years, and then uh, actually someone passed away, and they needed someone to fill in on the operations side and actually manage a couple of plants wow. up in the, on the east slope of Colorado. And I moved into operations and worked in operations for a number of years. And, uh, and then, you know, as the industry's kind of ebbed and flowed, there was a downturn, and... Uh, there was consolidation among a lot of different companies and I was with the company that got consolidated and they moved me uh, back to Houston and uh, because of my background I was one of the few people that actually you know kept and, and they moved me into a commercial role to help develop uh, the business processes of buying gas and, and, and kind of the commercial aspect and I did that for a number of years um, got a lot of perspective on the business side but my passion has always been engineering and operations. And, and I eventually moved back into engineering, ran engineering for a while, and then uh, moved into operations. And that's where I am today. And I'm over all of our operations for, for our company. As far as the GPA midstream goes, um, at what point in your career did you get involved with the, with the GPA midstream? And then you know, how did you ascend? Clark is the current chairman of the board for the GPA midstream. So. How did that process go? Well, you know, as a young engineer, it was always a big, big um, kind of recognition to, to, to be able to go to attend the conference and learn uh, as a young employee, a young engineer working for a lot of different companies. They mm -hmm. didn't send everybody. So it was always really exciting to get to go. And, and it was an opportunity to learn and develop your career and, and, and just completely learn all about different stuff from really experts have been in the industries for a number of years. A lot of my mentors, you know, and, and, and people that actually did the physical property work and developed the processes, um, you know, that we use today. And, and so that, that was kind of my first um, venture into attending. And then uh, there was uh, local organizations. You know, we have the Mid-Continent Chapter, the yeah. North Texas Chapter, the Houston Chapter, the Appalachian Chapter. It sounded like a commercial Mid-Continent Chapter. And uh, I got involved in the Permian Basin Chapter. Excellent. Uh, okay. and, uh, and really worked and uh, became a, a chapter leader in, in GPA. And then um, and over time, it just elevated and became... Uh, a member of the executive committee for the overall GPA and uh, just through time and experience and the passion for the GPA I kind of rose up to be the chairman. Excellent. We, well we're glad you're here. Um, thanks for joining us again. I have had a couple people ask me at this 
at this event here specifically the difference between the GPA midstream and the GPSA midstream. Can you help enlighten a few people about the differences of that? <laughs> sure. Um, we really work together, even though it's two organizations. Uh, we're, we're very, you know, we're tied at the hips. They're, they're the gas suppliers association. They're the ones that we buy a lot of the equipment for and work together to develop and build plants. Uh, and really a teamwork and they provide us a lot of the products that that we use in our industry so we're we're closely aligned with them and uh, how our side goes on the GPA benefits them from the from the sales and development of their company on that side so uh, it's just been a hand-in-hand -hand relationship through the years and I've got just as many friends on the GPSA side as I do on the GPA side excellent yeah, it's, sometimes I think the the lines are blurred, and rightly so, right? Uh, you, you know, it's hard to tell who's who's who. So We're pulling in the same direction. So. Yeah. So you know, I think uh, an important piece of outreach that you know GPA's taken on has been this clear the air campaign. And um, that's what we're here to talk a little bit about. And I thought your comments before uh, Kenny at the keynote were, were well 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 received. And uh, so the question I want to ask you is maybe a little bit about you know the listeners of this podcast I, I think how can how can we do a better job as an industry highlighting all of the great things we're doing to be good stewards of the environment to be you know responsible developers of the resources right that we're we're using to create energy how how can we as an industry do a better job at having pragmatic conversations about all the good things we're doing and and maybe how do then the viewers or the listeners of this podcast take that message and what do they do with it because um, I think that's really where you know we need to do a better job as an industry right is just advocating and sharing what we do and um, I think Robert Bryce last year shared the stat that um, the industry's outspent four to one right by the the NGOs mm -hmm. and um, that was a mind-blowing stat to think oil and gas can actually be you know outspent, outspent. <laughs> right and so just curious what your thoughts are uh, about that outreach component I, I think it's critical I don't think as an industry that we've done a good job educating the majority of people in, in this country don't understand energy okay they don't understand that everything that they touch comes from a hydrocarbon or they take for granted that the light switch comes on when it when when they flip the switch yeah. um, you know energy has has elevated our standard of living beyond what anybody can even imagine because we take it for granted what we have every day but you know you can go back a hundred years and, and there was no energy other than wood yeah. Okay. And and you can look at the lifestyle and 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 how people lived then and you can see how we've elevated that. Okay. And um you know Scott Tinker with Switch Energy, mm -hmm. you've seen some of his podcasts. He's excellent. Probably the best that I've ever seen at explaining, you know, energy poverty. We have a lot of things that we take for granted that and we're a small portion of the population in the overall world yeah. and and everybody wants what we have and and that takes energy and and why should we deny that for others who want to elevate their standard of living like we do and and getting our our folks to appreciate what we have because they take it for granted and they don't understand um, 
the, it, there's a big course on the other side that the world's going to end, and, but they don't talk about how they're going to replace it. And, and like I said this morning, there's nothing as remarkable as a hydrocarbon molecule mm -hmm. in terms of being able to move it around, the, the energy density included in, in a molecule, the safety that we've developed around that. Uh, sure, there's, there's things that we need to improve on, and I'm the first one to admit it. Yeah, we don't want methane emissions. That's product leaving our systems that we could sell to help someone, okay? Right. Um, so we're, we're spending lots of money trying to improve that, and, and we want to be like your neighbor. I mean, we are neighbors. We, we all live in the same world, and, and we want clean energy, and we want a good standard of living for everyone. It's gonna, I have this conversation a lot. We've, we've talked about it, Adam, a number of times on this podcast. I think the next like 10 years are going to be fascinating in terms of energy development, because when you start to do the math, I, you know, I think you said energy addition, right, during your comments. And that, a lot of people use the term energy transition, and, and it, you know, I think it, it, it implies the wrong thing. I think it's energy addition, right? There is, you know, renewables have their place, but hydrocarbons will continue to be a core energy. And it's gonna be fascinating to see how that narrative changes in the next 10 years as that demand for power continues to grow and we need to, we're electrifying more and more and more. And how does, how does that electrification technology keep pace right and um you you look at some of the the questions around supply chains for critical minerals and you just go man like it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky well i mean what's your take on the future of natural gas here over the next 10 to 50 years i, I think it's here to stay um for a long long time the the and you're exactly right. I mean, it's energy addition. We've we've been building solar cells and windmills for 20 years, and and when you look at the total amount of power produced from those, it's still a small percentage overall of the total energy used in the world. So, you know, it's taken 50 years to develop the hydrocarbon industry um, to provide all the power that we have today, mm -hmm. and to say that we're going to, in 10 years, do what we've done, what it's taken 50 years on the hydrocarbon side to develop all that, seems a little bit far-fetched. There's got to be a lot of innovation, a lot of new technology, but the, the thing that's interesting is we've reached the, the limit of the laws of physics on, on wind and, and solar, and, you know, we're, we're at the limits of what they can do mm -hmm. from, a, uh, from a physics perspective. Um, so yeah, I think that we are definitely energy addition. We, we would all like to believe that there's a magic bullet where we could have all this clean energy, but the reality is it's not gonna happen and, and it's really gonna take a lot of time. And I'm not sure if it completely can ever be done. When you, when you talk about the number of windmills, the number of solar cells, to replace the 80% that's produced by hydrocarbons right. today, it's, it's mind-blowing. It goes back to education. The people need yep. to understand where energy comes from, what it provides for us, and then I think you will see that they'll focus on some things different than just green energy. It's, it's standard of living. Nobody wants to go back, you know, 100 years. And, and 
we need to be thinking about the populations on the globe that, that desire energy and how are we going to get it for them. No doubt. So switching gears a little bit, you're, you're an executive at a, at a midstream company and chairman of the board of a midstream you know, industry organization. Um, Two-part question. First, what's the most rewarding part of your job? Our, our industry tends to get picked on a little bit, so I always like to focus on some good things that, that people see and feel in their jobs. And then what keeps you motivated in doing what you're doing? I think the desire to make things better. We realize there are challenges. We've seen challenges throughout the, the industry for you know the 100 years of the GPA midstream. We've always adapted and grown and solved problems. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of engineers, um, a lot of very technical people uh, really focused on solving some of those. So that, that's always rewarding. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm getting to the end of my career, and what's, <laughs> what's challenging is to, to develop that next generation yeah. uh, of, of people to come in to carry that torch and to do that. So I, I get a lot of reward looking out in the audience and seeing young people come back in. Uh, it's a concern of mine too. We, we, we've talked about that today in my talk about, you know, people don't want to go into the energy business. They, they think it's going to be extinct in some period of time, and it's not. We, we need that young talent to develop and solve the problems of the future. Well, so to that end, what advice would you give someone that's either thinking of coming into the energy sector or already in and how they go about climbing that corporate ladder. Think about what you're trying to solve. Think about education and think about let's clear the air and, and getting podcasts out there to, to teach the American public about energy because they really don't understand. Um, we take it for granted because we're in the industry. We know what we produce and how it impacts things but a lot of people don't. It goes back to they flip the switch and just assume that the, the lights are coming on and they don't know what's behind it. And, you know, we, we talk about energy prices too and, and the, the price of gasoline. And, and if people understood the processes that it takes and the work to get gas out of the ground to, to, to make a gallon of gasoline that you put in your car mm -hmm. and you look at that price over the last... 25 years and you compare it to a gallon of milk or you know Listerine mm -hmm. what that what you're paying for a dollar a gallon of, of that or even bottled water now right you know um, compared to what has to go in to create that gallon of gasoline and and make it clean as it can be uh, and, and be able to refine it and transport it and get it to the store nearby right. yeah, it's, it's phenomenal I like camping, but not in my house, right? I mean, I got I got pissed in the hotel room this morning. It took two minutes to get hot water coming out of the shower. I was like getting impatient. Like, what is what is taking forever? Yeah, it, the, the 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 conversation around uh, energy and the environment is is I think the greatest opportunity the industry has probably right now to get a new fresh set of like for me. I mean, I, right, we talked about the first podcast. I hated oil and gas. Um, coming from Colorado and, and going to a school in Colorado, I was very anti-oil and gas until I realized... Shout out to the buffs. Yeah, go buffs. Go Coach <laughs> Prime. Um, I was very anti-oil and gas until I, I had the opportunity to intern with Shell and realize, like, oh, hey, wait, this, this actually is not 
not what I thought. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's a ton of, of awesome opportunities. Um, I guess thinking about, you know, kind of what along the lines of what we've been talking about, maybe that's my op- biggest opportunity, I think, for midstream is the, the conversation and the, the opportunity to attract a very new, youthful group of, you know, workforce uh, in the next, you know, five, 10 years. What do, what do you see as, as you're kind of winding down your career? And um, what do you hope the industry is able to capitalize on going forward? Like what, what major opportunities or low hanging fruit do you see for the midstream industry in the next decade? Really programs like, like Let's Clear the Air, it's getting that message out in a format that's reaching people mm-hmm. and making a difference. Um, I think for too long, we've kind of buried our heads in the sand and plogged along in our own little world doing these things in terms of providing energy and not doing a good job of telling and explaining what energy does for people. So being able to create podcasts like this to, to reach more people and, and, and train and teach what energy does. One, one thing I haven't heard much talk about at GPA, and I'm curious what, you know, maybe the, the direction you think the organization or the industry might take in general is on, you know, the, these certifications, these low, you know, certified natural gas or responsibly sourced natural gas, right? I feel like there's 50 million different ways to describe these natural gas, uh, you know, that, that's been certified as having a very low methane intensity, right? Um, and that's, to me, that's something I don't hear a lot of talk about. And, and so you kind of have the insight, both from your company, but also sitting here, uh, you know, as a board member at GPA. Do you, do you hear a lot of conversation about, you know, the future of certifying methane intensity on natural gas production and, and do you think that's going to have a, a a significant future going forward or was it kind of more of like a fad um, that kind of will come and go ultimately no i think it's a future but what i think it's doing is driving all companies within the industry mm-hmm. to improve yeah okay we don't want one company producing and not caring about the environment. We want all the companies to work together. And that's mm-hmm. part of the collaboration we have at GPA is sharing best practices. We want all companies to, to be good stewards of the environment and, and do what we can all share and improve our industry to make the very cleanest natural gas we can. And I think that's, I think people want that the downstream industries want that, and, and it's a way of, I would say, holding all companies accountable. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully, here at the GPA midstream, you know, we're sharing those best practices, those ideals to make everyone better. Have there been any conversations around, um, you know, uh, workshops that you've been in and things like that around any new technologies or new changes? I mean, you mentioned we're kind of reaching the the edge of physics, but there's there's always more than one way to skin a cat on a few things, but are there any new ways of doing things that you're excited about? Well, you know, one of the things that, that I visit with some employees within our company as they come to GPA, we need to be working about what's what are the best practices or what are other people doing about 
programs and technologies to reduce methane emissions. That's mm -hmm. that's the big thing right now. Okay, mm -hmm. you know it goes back to your question on responsibly sourced gas. You know we don't we want to keep all the methane we can in our pipe, mm -hmm. and we want to understand the technologies that help us identify and correct those as quickly as possible. We're running up on time here, but we end all of our shows with a with a, the same question. So I'll, I'll give it to you. So. We're, we're three years from now, and you're back on our, on our show, um, and things are good for you and the industry. Um, what has gone on over the last three years to make them good? I, you know, I go back to people understanding more and more about the energy industry. Mm -hmm. the, the better job that we can do educating about the things that the majority of people take for, for granted uh, is only going to improve our discussion on the subject, our improvement on how we go about it, yes. and, and understanding um, so that it's not a we versus them, it's we collaborate. But only good collaboration comes through understanding of both sides, and I think we need to do a better job explaining our side. Well, we appreciate you coming on. I know this was... Uh kind of set up here quickly and, and not much information given, but uh, thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, Clark. Thank you for listening to the Let's Clear the Air Energy Podcast with Adam Murray and Dr. Andrew Parker. If you like what you have heard, subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app. You can email us with questions or comments to Let's Clear the Air Energy Podcast at gmail.com.